the book of Job and the second chapter and the third through the tenth verses. And it reads as follows. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then. He is in your hands. But you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die! He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? This past week, we celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday. And during this season, we offered gratitude for all the good things in our lives. We thank God for our families, our friends, our health, and our very livelihoods. We thanked Him for food, for shelter, for clothing, and certainly for His presence in and throughout our lives. We thanked Him for this unseasonably warm days that we have had and that we've been experiencing, and we actually look forward to the hopes and the joys that come during this season of Advent. God has indeed been good and continues to be good to each of us, and for that we must always remain grateful and thankful. Indeed, for me, one of the great markers of this season is that I look forward to feasting on the delicacy of leftovers, at least for another week. As I shared with you last Sunday, being grateful is a matter of the heart. And you can only really offer thanks as an act based on something that you are grateful for. In other words, you cannot give thanks for anything if you are ungrateful. But gratitude is appreciation for having received something for which you did not deserve or even earn. And so what then happens to gratitude if you are unclear or unaware of what benefit you may have received. Laurie Nichols from the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, in an article published in Christianity Today, talks about something called upside-down gratitude. And she states that upside-down gratitude is, listen to this, the ability to give thanks even for the parts of our lives which lead us to sadness and struggle and suffering. Upside-down gratitude is, is the ability to give thanks even for the parts of our lives that bring sadness, struggle, and suffering. In other words, it's very easy, especially in this season, to be grateful for the good things that happen 
in our lives which we can see an immediate benefit for, but what about the benefits that come to us by way of struggle and hardships? Can we still give thanks then? Can we still give thanks when everything around us seems to be falling apart for which we do not understand and, we, and there seems to be no reason for the calamity that we face? Can we still give thanks then? Well, today I want to speak about giving thanks in the midst of things and times for which we do not understand the reason nor the season. It's the proverbial, God, why is this happening to me question that we ask. And as a subject, and a title for this sermon, I want to speak from the message, the good grief. The good grief. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Good grief. Sometimes, Lord, that's all we can say when in the midst of all the struggles that we face. Good grief. What now? What now? Goodness gracious me. Lord, we can find all the superlatives we can, Lord, to try to express what we feel, but the real answer to the question, or the real question that we ask, O oh God, is where are you, Lord? In the midst of our struggles and our pain and our trials, where are you, O oh Lord? And so today, Father, we turn this message over to you now. Speak now to us, Lord, and help us to understand not only grief, but the goodness in grief. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text takes a look at a man by the name of Job. And we are told in the text that Job was blameless and upright, a man that feared God and shunned evil. Job had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, a large number of servants. And if we want to even make it our day, he owned five Lamborghinis, three Range Rovers. Job even have uh, nine Acuras. I mean, Job has a mansion on a hill. Job was a rich man. In fact, the text tells us that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job was a wealthy and a powerful man. He was a man, the text tells us, of high honor and integrity, upright and blameless in all his ways. And because of his character, he was blessed by his family, he was blessed by his neighbors, he was blessed with his possessions, he was blessed in his coming, he was blessed in his going. Job was blessed by God. But I believe, in my heart of hearts, that the scripture was telling us how blessed Job was, not really because God wanted us to see how good God was to him. I really think that God was telling us how blessed Job was because God wanted us to see that Job had a lot to lose. God was proud of Job. And it's for this reason that Satan now sought to afflict him. And so because of Satan, not God, Job ended up losing all of his livestock, all of his servants, all of his camels, all of his children, all of his Lamborghinis, all of his Range Rovers, all of his mansions on a hill. Because of Satan, Job lost everything. 
Job had suffered the worst possible loss that we could ever imagine. And as a result, Job became mired in something called grief. Grief is a type of suffering. It is a sorrow of the soul that accompanies some kind of loss or punishment. And the reason why I believe that the Lord laid it on my heart to talk to the church today about grief is because I believe that some of us don't really understand the power of grief and what it's designed to do. And as a result, we end up being stuck in a place that forces us to not be present with God. Grief is a sign that something went wrong. It is a deep and acute pain that causes us to reflect on the separation of something or someone that we love. And grief can cause us to feel stuck and alone. I heard it once described as being in a thick fog where you cannot see your way out. In other words, it's a form of isolation coupled with paralysis. Now, now, while grief can follow the loss of a loved one, it is not limited to the loss of people. It can follow the loss of a pet. It can follow the loss of a job or some other kind of important role that you may have had in your life. It may follow the loss of a home. It may follow the loss of any other kind of position, possession where there is some kind of a deep emotional investment that was made. For example, it can be found after a marriage has been dissolved through divorce. Grief is complex. It obeys no formula and it has no expiration date. And while some experts propose that there is clear stages of grief, they say it's denial, then anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But the truth is, grief is in fact a process. It's highly individualized, and not everyone grieves the same way. As you're all here sitting in this room right now, many of you, Maybe reflecting on some kind of loss that you may have endured. It may be something recent or it may be something in the distant past. But be that as it may, we can all probably agree that the grief we bear for the losses we have experienced probably could not compare to the grief that Job experienced. You see, to lose a spouse is difficult. To lose one child is difficult. To lose a home or a job is difficult. But to lose all of that, let alone 10 children, all at the same time, is something that my mind cannot even begin to comprehend. But having lost all of this, the scriptures tell us that Job, in the midst of his unimaginable grief, got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship, saying, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Church, let's be honest here. I tell you, I don't want a church full of pretenders. Let's be honest here. In the midst of such unimaginable loss, praise and worship is not the way that we would have responded. Listen, in fact, many of us 
in those kind of circumstances, if we are honest, would seriously contemplate voluntarily joining our lost members in the great by and by. And notice I said voluntarily. For what would be the point of going on after suffering all that loss? But what are we to make of Job's response? Is this the appropriate way to deal with loss? Is that what the Bible is telling us? That this is the way that we are supposed to deal with unimaginable loss? How are we to interpret this? Is God expecting us to be thankful and to give him worship and praise for, the, for our inability to make ends meet? Are we to give God worship and praise for fears and self-doubt that frequently come into our lives and overwhelm us? Are, are we to give God worship and praise for, for losing a job that we worked almost our entire lives for and now know that and now find out we're not getting a pension? Are we supposed to give God worship and praise for the past that may include some kind of abuse which could be sexual or otherwise? Are we to give God worship and praise for feeling like second class citizens because of the color of our skin? Are we supposed to give God worship and praise for being raised without a father or a mother? Are we supposed to give God praise for you fill in the blanks? How does that really work? Because what I'm telling you, the text says, Job lost everything. And in the midst of all of that, Job is kneeling down and giving God praise and worship. How are we to interpret and understand the scriptures when we know in our heart that the pain of some kind of loss, whatever it is, does not necessarily lead us to the place of praise? So how does it really work? I want to know. The truth is, no one wants to face pain or loss in our lives. But such is the way of grief. The way of avoiding the pain or the loss, suffering, the, 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 the first instinct that we all have is to go into isolation, to pull ourselves away from the household of faith. Worshiping and praising God and lifting holy hands is the last thing on our minds when we have suffered unimaginable pain or loss. But it's important to be honest about it. Because many of us in the Christian church, and I'm talking to all of us, many of us in the Christian church, if we are truly honest, most of us believe that if I am good, my life will be comfortable. If, 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 I, if I tithe and do all the churchy things that everyone is asking me to do and God is asking me to do, then I am promised a life that's going to be free of trouble. Listen, the devil is a liar. And here is the truth. We follow a crucified Savior, so we cannot possibly expect an easy life. Denial and escapism is not what we need to see when we are going through these difficult experiences in our life. I want, and again, church, let me be clear. We are, many of us are stuck in the place of grief. Now, recall that I told you that grief is a process and that every person responds to loss very differently. In fact, Job's response, I believe, is quite unusual. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores, sores from the sole of his feet 
to the crown of his head. I don't know if you have ever had a sore, one sore, but can you imagine sores all over your body? And he did not have amoxicillin or any of these kinds of things to help deal with the pain. Listen, Job would have loved a little bit of opioid. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and with it, as he sat among the ashes, scraped himself. I can only imagine the scabs, the blood, the flies, the smell. And his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and just die? Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's a very important question. Shall you and I accept good from God and not trouble? For, for, for is God only good when things are going well in our lives? Or is God still good when things are falling apart? So the real question is, what's the purpose of grief? And does it contain any redemptive value at all? What purpose was God putting this thing, instilling this thing called grief in our hearts? This mechanism for dealing with losses. Why did God give that to us? Is there anything good about grief? Well, if we want to know the answer to the question, we only need to look at Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. The prophet Isaiah said to us in the 53rd chapter and the third verse, here's what he says. He says, speaking of Jesus, he was, a, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, watch this, and acquainted with grief. To be acquainted with grief means you know something about grief, but you ain't trying to be best friends with grief. You're simply just acquainted with it. And some of you know what I'm talking about in here. You are acquainted with grief. You know what it's like to lose something important to you. You know what it's like to lose sometimes your very livelihood. If you've ever been in a hospital bed where you just know that there's nothing you can do depending on the mercies of, of, of doctors and nurses to give you at least a little bit of relief, you are acquainted with grief. If you know what it's like to have a child who you have lost for whatever reason and wonder whatever circumstances, I'm saying you're acquainted with grief. If you know what it's like to have your loved one, your children incarcerated and now you, you, you have no idea how to get them out and on the right path, you're acquainted with grief. If you know what it's like to have a home or an apartment and to lose it, you're acquainted with grief. But it doesn't mean that you want grief to be your friend. Jesus was acquainted with grief. And no one was more acquainted with grief than Jesus himself. Jesus was barely 30 years on this planet. And after three years of active ministry, he didn't, he didn't hesitate to spend time in mourning. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus took time to grieve when he wept for Lazarus. Jesus took time to grieve when he wept and prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, Jesus wept and grieved, praying through a psalm as he hung on the cross. Jesus wept and grieved over the hardness of our hearts. But the point that I want to make here, 
my brothers and sisters, is that Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. Yeah. I need to sit right there for a moment. Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. These are the two most important things that grief offers to us in moments of significant loss. Unlike Job, Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. I bring this up because I believe that Job's response was not only unusual, but it tended to me to be a little churchy. I find that Job was in a lot of pain, but his response was just a little too churchy for me. And so what he did, what he did was what many of us do is we scripturalize our pain and our loss. It is the kind of thing you hear when, when, when people are facing some of the most crippling and difficult times in their lives, the most debilitating moments in their lives, yet when you ask them, how are you doing, you hear, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Are you sure? Because you just lost something. How are you doing? Well, God is good all the time. And all the time, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm certainly not saying people are wrong to, to make these pronouncements and expressions, but I'm saying they're risking moving towards not facing the reality of their pain, trying to escape from a reality to deal with the pain and the loss. When things are falling apart in your lives, the best thing to do is to face it. Not run away into isolation. That's why God gave us the church. A community where you will not find any person in the church that might not be able to relate on some level to something you are going through. Oh, naked I came into the world. Naked I will go out. The Lord giveth and the Lord taken away. That would not be my prayer if I lost my child. So I'm telling you that Job was upright and perfect in all his ways, but Job had an issue that I think God wants us to see. God does not want us to pretend that everything is going well in our lives. God wants us to take things to him. And as I shared with you before, on that cross, Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. Jesus expressed his honest emotional pain by weeping and then he shared it with God in prayer. <laughs> My point is, Jesus expressed what I call the good grief. I hope that this is getting through to somebody. Jesus wept. He expressed his true emotion. And then he prayed. He gave it to God. For people of faith, sharing grief with God and our pain with God can be ambiguous. Why? Because sometimes we harbor this unspoken belief in our minds and our hearts that God was the one that caused the loss that we are grieving. We often believe that it was God who refused to intervene and prevent my problems and my loss. And here's the danger, church. When you believe that it was God that is afflicting you, then you have no reason to go to him in prayer. Because your thought then is, wait a second, if God did this, then God's got a purpose for this, and therefore God got a purpose for this, I just got to make it through. No! 
God's got a purpose in everything, but he does what? He works all things together for the good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. The all things that he's working out is that in the midst of Satan wanting to take from you what God has given to you because God has favored you, God is saying, I'm going to work through that even though Satan thinks he's got it. So in spite of your pain, in spite of your trouble, in spite of your worry, it takes great faith to go to God and say, Lord, enough is enough. I am weeping. I am crying. And I'm giving it over to you. Jesus wept and he prayed. The Bible tells us that Christ reveals that God is the author and the source of everything good. He's a source of only love, and God is, in fact, fighting each day to lead us more deeply into his love so that he can heal this lie that we tend to believe in the church. God takes nothing away from us. God is a giver of good gifts. If something has been taken away from you, believe me, it wasn't God that took it. But God knows that this world is full of sin. And the devil seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And as long as he is the prince of this world, he has open season on you and me. None of us is exempt from his wiles. None of us. But here's the truth. In the midst of Satan trying to take away every single thing from you that God has blessed you with. Job was blessed. Satan has taken his blessings. You've been blessed. Satan is taking your blessing in the midst of all that Satan is trying to take away from you. My brothers and my sisters, here is my message. Weep over it, but offer it to God in prayer. Jesus wept and he prayed. Many of us jumped to the prey, but never wept. You see what I'm saying? I'm giving you the order of the good grief. Jesus wept and Jesus prayed. When calamity comes in your life, don't just jump to praying. Weep. Cry. Do whatever you need to do to get real with the pain. Face it. And when you have wept, when you have cried, when you have screamed, when you have expressed your, all of your disgust, then you pray. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God gives. God is not involved in taking. God so hated evil and what it does that, that he recognized that evil hates and robs us of life. But he came to be among us as one of us. And in sorrow, Jesus bled and died on Calvary's cross so that we would understand that he knows about isolation and temptation. And as Isaiah said, and I said before, he was a man acquainted with grief. Jesus went down to the very depths of pain in our souls. Jesus knows every single tear that you have ever cried. 
And for that, he bled. And for that, he died. All losses, though, hear me, church, can come from a place where you can get into the most intimate relationship with God. If you show Jesus your wounds, your pain, your problems, Jesus will turn around and show you his very own. And then he will cradle you in his arms. And he will say to you, do not be dismayed, for I am not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. And if you sow good seed, you will reap good seed. So take heart, my child, for I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Do not be troubled, for in my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place that where I am, you will be there. I am trying to tell you that Jesus has already made a way. But first, go to him. With your pain. Sin is real. And sin found its ultimate expression in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He stood on that cross. But Jesus came to this earth for the sole reason of helping you and I deal with the pain of sin. But he gave us the power of our grief. He gave us the good grief. He says, listen, you're going to hurt but I'm giving you a way to release that pressure valve. It's like, it's like, it's like a, a, a balloon that's getting ready to burst. But then you just release the pressure valve. And so our prayer is, God, I know trouble must come. I know that I'm going to be dealing with hardship. But every now and then, Lord, take a little bit of this sting away. So what does Jesus teach us and how does he tell us to handle grief? He tells us that we must use our grief, hear me church, for ministry. We must be so very careful that in our mourning, we don't turn our sorrow into self-pity and self-hate. Our sorrow actually empowers us to love and to serve other people. All that hurt, all those emotions you feel, take them and use them to show compassion on people who desperately need to know the love of Jesus. In your brokenness, God is able to use you to share the good news of his gospel. In your desperation, your dependence on Jesus serves as a powerful testimony to a lost and dying world. Brothers and sisters, it is okay to grieve. It is okay to cry. It is okay to not be okay all of the time. It is good to mourn the lost. But may your emotions turn radical in gospel-driven compassion. Turn that pain around, the fear the anger, the worry, the anxiety. Turn it around for God's glory. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, if you can find the capacity to take your pain and give it to God, I'm telling you, he could do more with that than you could ever imagine. I'm not telling you not to hurt. I'm telling you, hurt. I'm telling you, cry. But don't get stuck there. Because God is not finished with you yet. 
Some things in life you have to go through in order to understand and to know who God is. And the proof is in the scriptures. Why? Because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Give your weaknesses to God, but only after you have cried. This is the good grief. This is the grief that brings about the redemptive power of God. This is the kind of grief that other people will see you going through and want to know what is that joy you have. How is it you're able to get through the hardship? That's the good grief. That's because after you've cried and you've prayed, now God is glorified. This, my brothers and sisters, I hope you heard it, is the good grief. So when we walk around from now on, and you hear people going through stuff, just say, good grief. Good grief. And we don't mean it to mean that things are falling apart. It means that I'm going to turn this grief into God's redemptive power. Good grief. Good grief. Good Lord. Good Lord. We use all of these words almost as curse words. And I'm changing your vocabulary today. Good grief. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Good grief. Why? Because after you have wept, then you pray and watch God do his best work. So let today be a day where you put the stamp down and you say, yes, I will cry. Yes, I will mourn. Yes, I will do all, I will lay it all on the line. But after that, I will pray and give it to God and leave it there. Amen? Amen. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved. <laughs>